We're continuing in our series, A Summer in the Psalms. This has been going on for about 11 years. There's 150 uh, psalms, and about 11 years we started at Psalm 1, and each summer we do uh, five or six of them uh, in, uh, in the sequence as they appear in the Bible. Uh, I know it's summer. I know you've been out of school uh, for at least a couple of weeks, for many of you a couple of decades, <clears throat> but I want to start with a a Shakespearean quotation, if that's okay. Probably something you heard in grade 10 English class. Uh, if you prick us, do we not bleed? If you tickle us, do we not laugh? If you poison us, do we not die? And if you wrong us, shall we not revenge? These are the, the words of Shylock in the Merchant of Venice. Uh, Shylock was a racial and religious minority living in Venice. He and his people were victims of anti-Semitism, of hatred, and he's trying to, this is an often quoted Shakespearean line, if you prick us, will we not bleed? Where he's saying, we are human just like you. Don't treat us in this dehumanizing way. And then he says, if you, if you tickle us, well, I was surprised to, to be reminded that tickle is in Shakespearean English. I didn't know that. And then he says, if you poison us, you tickle your neighbor right now. See if they laugh. It's, it's a natural human reaction. I don't encourage you to prick your neighbor or to poison them. <clears throat> but Shylock here is, is laying out what is foundational to human beings. Human beings bleed. Human beings laugh. Human beings are, 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 have all of these things in common. Bleeding, laughing, poisoning. But in the same breath, he says, if you wrong us, will we not revenge? As natural to the human condition as bleeding is, we all have blood flowing through our veins. We all have nerves that cause us to, uh, uh, to laugh when we are tickled. We, we, we have something inside of us, something flowing inside of us that when we are wronged, we want to revenge. And the tragedy of the, the, the merchant of Venice is that rather than rising above the people who were oppressing him, Shylock stoops down to their level. We all want revenge. There, there, there's sort of this knee-jerk reaction in, in all of us. It's, it's like an impulse. It's like an, an instinct. Whether, you know, we're playing a soccer game out on the pitch and, and someone gives you a challenge and they take their cleats and they go right on the top of your foot. Well, the next time they come into your area, guess where your cleats are going to go? Right to the same location. You're driving away on the 401 and someone merges and cuts you off. And what, what's the initial impulse? I'm just going to speed up and cut them off. 
a co-worker or a competitor in business tries to, for the sake of leverage and one-upmanship, tries to exploit one of your weaknesses in your business or, or, or in your portfolio in order to gain an advantage. And then what do you want to do in that situation? You want to do the exact same thing to them. A friend who gossips about you behind your back, what well, you want to turn around and do it to them. We are almost hardwired for revenge. It's as natural as bleeding and laughing and dying when we're poisoned. Psalm 64 is a, is a psalm about someone who wants revenge. They are feeling that impulse. The, the title for today's message is, Why Revenge is Unchristian. Why Revenge is Unchristian. One of Shakespeare's most famous lines is, if you prick us, will we not bleed? One of Jesus' most famous lines is, if someone strikes you on the cheek, strike them back? No, that's not it, is it? If someone strikes you on the cheek, turn to them the other cheek. Don't seek revenge. Now, some of us have this misunderstanding about God and the Bible and how it all fits together. This idea that in the Old Testament, revenge was okay. And God was a God of revenge, but then he became sort of nicer in the Jesus era in the New Testament. That's not true. Revenge was, was never an option for the people of God. This is a Psalm of David. David has enemies, enemies who are trying to harm him and trying to ruin him. And David is not seeking revenge. He's seeking the Lord in prayer. Revenge is unchristian. So as we make our way through the, the psalm today, I want to share with you three reasons why it's unchristian to seek revenge. And then I want to uh, think about one response. So if you're taking notes today, jot, jot this down, that revenge is unchristian because God listens when we pray. Because God listens when we pray. The psalm says to the choir master, a psalm of David, hear my voice, O God, in my complaint. Preserve my life from dread of the enemy. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked. The psalm begins where so many psalms begin. He's in trouble and he's looking to God for help. And the Psalms begin like so many of our prayers begin. We often don't give God a second thought until something bad happens. And then we either blame him or we, we cry out to him to, to bail us out. So David here is, is crying out to God as, as, as so often we do at a time of crisis. He, he wants God to hear his voice. In his complaint. Now, no one really wants to be known for complaining, right? We don't like to be around people who complain all of the time. And, and I, I, I don't want you to get the wrong idea of what David is saying here. He, he's not just talking about being hypercritical or annoyed or offended by, by things. The idea of a complaint there is formal legal proceedings. He's coming before the judge. He's bringing charges. He has, a, he has a case that he's bringing before the judge. He is appealing to, to the highest court of appeal, to the supreme of the supreme court before the throne of God. He is praying. This isn't, again, this isn't vigilante justice. David isn't taking matters into his own 
hands. And then he says in verse 1, preserve my life. Verse 2, hide me. He, he, he wants a restraining order on these people who are attacking him. He's asking to be put, put me in the witness relocation program. Hide me away, God. These people who are described as enemies in verse 1, wicked in verse 2, evildoers again in verse 2. Rather than seeking vengeance, David believes that God is listening to his prayer. David, at one point in his life, was living large. He, he was married to the daughter of the king of Israel, Saul. Jonathan, Saul's son, was David's best friend. David was a, a, a leader in the military. He was having great success. He slayed the giant Goliath. And then Saul started to get jealous. And there are seven individual attempts on David's life made by Saul. And David sort of started to piece things together and say, maybe it's not really safe for me to be here. And so David fled to the wilderness. And then for seven years, David is a fugitive on the run. When he says, God, hide me, he's literally hiding from Saul. And then there's two moments where David had an opportunity to get revenge. One time David was hiding. He was hiding in a cave. And then it says that King Saul, out of all of the caves that King Saul could have gone to, he went into the very cave that David was hiding in. And then it says that Saul was relieving himself in the cave. The the, the king was sitting on a very different kind of throne, if you know what I mean. Now, if you know, look, picture a more vulnerable position for your enemy to be in. Maybe don't picture it, okay? But just, and David's friends were like, this is your moment, David. He's been trying to kill you. He threw spears at you. He, he, has, tried to, he has tried to destroy your, now's your chance. And David did not do it. Another time, David and one of his relatives snuck into Saul's camp. And the sleeping king who had been chasing David was was lying there helpless right in front of him. And David's relative says, listen, let me do it. I'll do it for you. And David would not take revenge. Why didn't David take revenge? Because he wrote prayers like Psalm 64. Because he had a dynamic relationship with God. David was also wise. David knew that if he became king by killing the other king, what's going to happen when someone else wants to become king? They're going to kill him. David knew that God had chosen him and anointed him to be king. And he was going to trust God who was judge. The God who sees everything and knows everything. So David did not take matters into his own hands. The first reason why revenge is unchristian is because we believe that God listens when we pray. Secondly, revenge is unchristian because God knows the depths of human evil. He knows the depths of human evil. These people who are described as enemies in verse 1 and wicked and evildoers in verse 2. It says in verse 3 that they wet their tongues like swords. That's wetting is to sharpen. They aim bitter words like arrows. They are weaponizing language. They are using words as weapons to try to destroy David. 
Whoever said sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me, hasn't, hasn't lived a millisecond in reality. Words hurt. Words can be weaponized. Words can be used to, to either build someone up or to tear them down. And these individuals, were, their words were like swords, were like arrows. They also use the element of surprise. Verse 4, shooting from ambush at the blameless. Shooting at him suddenly and without fear. And so the sword is drawn and they're hiding and the blameless person is helpless. They can't see them. It's unexpected. It's unseen. But they're, they're ready to shoot and to destroy the blameless. That's the picture. And they're ready to do it without fear. They don't have a fear of God. They don't have a concept of justice. It's just, I, I have the most might, so there, therefore I must be right. And I have power and influence. These were people who were close to King Saul. Who's going to question me? Who's going to stop me? They do it without fear. He goes on to describe them in verse 5. They hold fast to their evil purpose. They talk of laying snares secretly. So the, 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 the thing that they treasure, the thing that they're holding on to is their evil purpose. The thing that they're always talking about is, is how to lay these secret traps against David. They're, they're thinking to themselves in verse 5, who can see them? There's no accountability. There, 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 there won't be any judgment. Verse 6, they search out injustice. We have accomplished a diligent search. Rather than searching for meaning or purpose or joy in life, they are searching out new ways to oppress and extort other people. They search out injustice. And it says at the end of verse 6, for the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. If you're reading the New International Version today, it, it says something like cunning. The idea that deep cunning is that what you see on the surface is not necessarily the same what you see below the surface. That these people might act friendly toward David when they see him face to face, but below the surface they are aiming their arrows ready to destroy the psalm says that the, the inward mind and heart of a man are deep. Notice the connection. We see this all throughout the Bible. The connection between what we say. Remember, their words are like swords and their tongues are like arrows. And what's happening in the heart. They have a cunning heart, a cunning mind. And as Jesus said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. But what's happening in the heart is deep. One of the challenges that we are facing collectively as a, as a society, as our society becomes increasingly secular, which means that we've sort of divorced the, the concept of, of God or, or mystery or religion or spirituality from sort of public spaces and, and, and from the way that we think about the way the world works is, is because we have neglected theology we are starting to see confusion and shallowness in anthropology. Theology is the study of God. Anthropology is the study of, of human beings. 
And we, we've lost sight of what it means to be human. And we have this very shallow understanding of what it means to be human. And, 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 and one of the things that we are unable to come to grips with is the concept of evil. And where does evil come? And where does responsibility lie for people who commit evil? Have you noticed that in the last couple of decades we've become infatuated with anti-heroes or with stories about the antagonist in the traditional story. It started with that Joker movie. Like when's the last time you remember a movie that was just about a villain? Why did we want to see a movie? It wasn't about Batman. It wasn't about Robin. It was about the villain. It was about Joe because we're, we're, we're interested, we're captivated by this idea of evil. And then, you know, in, in more uh, uh, childlike things, like we, we want to know, why is Cruella DeVille so mean? Why does she want to kill all those Dalmatians? How did that all start? And, 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 and Kylo Ren in, in Star Wars, again, there's this idea of wanting to have sympathy for the villain. And there is, in some ways, it's healthy. There is this sense in which we, we recognize that there is a depth to the human heart, that we can't, always, we can't always see things on the surface. And maybe the reason why that person is hurting people is because they got hurt themselves. But the, the Bible lays out a very, very clear anthropology. You don't have to look very far. You don't have to study too deeply. I mean, it's on page one. <laughs> Genesis chapter one, verses 26 to 28, that God created us, which means we're creatures. We were created just like the other animals on the same day. The animals were created on day six. We were created on day six. We're animals in some way. We have a lot in common with animals. We're, we, are, we are creatures created, but in the image of God. None of the other animals are created like that. So in some ways, we're like other creatures. In some ways, we're like other animals. And sometimes we act like animals, let's be honest. But there's also this, this idea that we bear the image of God. And so, as you flip through the pages of history or scroll through yesterday's news, you see moments where humans are acting like animals. What does an animal do? An animal only ever does what the animal's instincts tell that animal to do. Whatever base desires are there, the animal acts on that. Sometimes humans act like that. But sometimes humans do incredible things. They build amazing things. They, they solve problems that seemed unsolvable. They, they, they make sacrifices. They're kind. They're, they're generous. Sometimes human beings can act like God. <laughs> Sometimes we act like animals. Only the Bible paints an accurate picture of what it means to be human. Warts and, and all. And the Bible tells us that, that we are people Yes, we're created in the image of God, but we're also living under a curse. We are broken people living in a broken world. Another time that David found himself on the run was because his own son Absalom was trying to put him to death. 
Now, the simple, shallow way to view it would be that David's the good guy and Absalom's the bad guy. But the inward mind and heart of a man is deep. David sinned with Bathsheba. And Nathan told David that there was going to be war in his heart, or sorry, war in his house as a result. There was going to be a consequence for his actions. And yes, Absalom absolutely sinned in trying to overthrow his his father's throne. But back the story up a little bit. Absalom grew up in this confusing, multi-mother polygamist mess. Where rape and incest is happening among the children. This is is the the environment that David created for Absalom. the, the, The inward heart. It's deep. Absalom, we don't know the backstory of Saul, but we know the backstory of Absalom. It's complicated. Absalom sinned for sure, but Absalom also lived in a sin filled world as well. And we can't see below the surface, only God can. The prophet Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 17, 8 and 9, or sorry, not 9 and 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Why do people do what they do? But the Lord says, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give to every man according to his ways. God is the ultimate judge. God is the one who knows the depth of human evil. So God listens when we pray. God knows the depths of human evil. And then thirdly, God will execute perfect and poetic justice. God will execute perfect and poetic justice. This whole psalm turns on those two little words at the beginning of verse 7. Do you see that there uh, in your Bibles or on the screen? But God. But, not but David. Not David taking matters into his own hands and seeking revenge. But God. David prayed to God. David trusted that God knew what was going on. David knew that God could see to the depths of the human mind and heart. But look at what God does. But God shoots his arrow at them, and they are wounded suddenly. They are brought to ruin with their own tongues turned against them. Notice first and foremost the the poetry in that God's judgment is very swift. Notice how it took four verses to describe the machinery of evil that is operating in the background and the sharpening of the sword and the pulling back of the arrow and hiding in ambush and all of this description. But then notice how when God shows up, it just takes a verse and a half to deal with it. In, in Hebrew, it's, it's more pronounced. There are 41 words to describe the evil and then just eight words to describe how quickly 
and swiftly God will bring about judgment. So God's judgment is swift. Also notice that it's symmetrical. Notice notice how verse 7 mentions arrows and the word suddenly and tongues, fear. Compare it to what was being said about the evil people. Their tongues are like swords, verse 3. Words like arrows shooting suddenly, verse 4. Without fear, verse 4. And now, but God, God shows up. Now their own tongues are turned against them. God is the one who's shooting the arrow suddenly, not the evil people. And all mankind fear. So it was the evil shooting the arrow at the blameless But then the tables get totally turned and it's God shooting the arrow at the evildoer. The tables are turned. And this is the way Hebrew poetry so often works. Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme, but they parallel and mirror one another in creative ways. This is poetic justice. We see this in the the Old Testament a couple of times. When, when, like Shylock, uh, it, living in Venice, the, the people of Israel were living far from home in exile. Remember the story from Sunday school, Daniel in the lion's den? And, and Daniel's living under the Medo Persian Empire, and he's rising to prominence, but other government officials are jealous of him. And so they try to use Daniel's religious convictions against him, and they use words to, to try to get the king to get Daniel in trouble. And they have their arrow set up to destroy Daniel and have him thrown in the lion's den. But God turns the whole thing around. And who ends up being thrown in the lion's den? It's the very people who came up with the lion's den idea in the first place. Or in the story of of Esther. Remember Esther and her uncle Mordecai? And there was this anti-Semitic guy, Haman. And he was trying to to bring out Final Solution 1.0. And he wanted to destroy all of the Jewish people. And in particular, he wanted to destroy Esther's uncle Mordecai. And so he had this plan. The arrows were pulled back. The sword was sharp. He built this enormous gallow where Mordecai was going to be hung to death. And he's ready to carry out his plan. But then the tables totally turn. And God fires his arrow of perfect and poetic justice. Where people are destroyed by their own devices, their own tongues. The tables end up being turned. They get a taste of their own medicine. What goes around comes around. In Psalm 7 verse 15, it talks about someone who's digging a pit for someone else to, f- to fall in. And as they're digging the pit for that guy over there, they end up falling in the pit. This is how God brings about justice. It's always perfect. Only took one arrow. It's always right on target. And it's poetic. It's swift and it's symmetrical. The end of verse 8 says, all who see them wag their heads. The shame that these people who used to be in positions of power and were lording that over and to try to destroy David, now they're being looked upon with shame. Now they're being canceled. Now people are wagging their heads. SMH. Can't believe this guy. So loved ones... Revenge is unchristian because God listens when we pray and he knows the depths of human evil and he will execute perfect and poetic justice and it will be clear to all. 
But then the question I wanna ask you is this, how will you respond? How will you respond? We see two responses in verse nine and 10. Look at verse nine. Then all mankind fears. They tell what God has brought about and ponder what he has done. All of humanity, whether they believe in God or don't believe in God or from one religion or the other religion, when they see God's justice played out like this, the initial result is fear, a healthy fear of God. Our culture has lost this. When you lose a healthy fear of God, you point arrows at people without fear. And you lay traps for people and say, no one's watching. But when you have a healthy fear of God, you know God is watching. And when the tables get turned and God fires his arrow, it says that the people will fear. It also says that they will tell. Let's have a conversation about this. And that they will ponder. It's going to give them something to think about. As well, I'm going to think twice before I fire an arrow at someone, before I use my mouth to tear someone down. I got to remember that God is listening. That God knows the depth of evil in the human heart. That's the first group. Then the second group, they're described as the righteous. Verse 10, let the righteous one rejoice in the Lord and take refuge in him. Let all the upright in heart exult. So these people, they're, they're called the righteous. They're called the upright in heart. And when they see this happen, they're going to rejoice. And they're going to exult, which means to celebrate or to praise or to boast. Now, as we've been reading this story, our default setting is that we are in the category of the righteous and the upright in heart. This happens in movies and in literature literature all the time. No one watches Star Wars without thinking that they're Princess Leia or Luke Skywalker. No one thinks, oh, the emperor, that's me. No one does that. We always assume that we're the protagonist in the story, that we're the good ones. Where does that come from? Why is it that we assume we're always righteous and upright? Because David was not always upright. One of the reasons why this mess happened with Absalom was because of David's sin with Bathsheba. And David's sin was not only his adultery with Bathsheba, but how he wedded his sword, how he used his tongue. To give a battle plan to Bathsheba's husband Uriah to seal it and have him deliver the battle plan to the leader of the army. David used words like a sword, like arrows, so that Uriah in delivering that battle plan which said attack and then withdraw so that Uriah is killed. David was not always upright in heart. David was not always righteous. Uriah could have written Psalm 64 about David as his enemy. Someone could write Psalm 64 about me or about you. But the weird thing is, is that we always always end up thinking we're on this side. The upright, the righteous side. We never identify as being 
wicked. (laughs) And we're so blindly confident of this. Meanwhile, no one ever seems to bother to delineate where is the line between the wicked and the righteous. How righteous do you need to be in order to be considered righteous? How upright does your heart have to be to stay on this side? How many wicked things do you have to do before you cross the line and be considered? Have you ever thought about that? Like that should keep you up at night. So uh, we've already seen how the tables turn in this psalm. And then then let's let's talk about Jesus. Let's fast forward to Jesus here for a second. Jesus was always turning the tables, right? So Jesus wanted to make it very, very clear to us which category we, we stood in. Jesus' most harsh words of condemnation was always directed at the people who assumed that they were righteous. And and Jesus, talk about knowing the depths of the human heart. This is what Jesus had to say in Mark chapter 7. He said, out of the heart of man come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All of those things David was guilty of. All these evil things come from within and they defile a person. The problem is a problem of the heart. And Jesus said, listen, i got to turn the tables here. You might think that you're blameless and someone else is aiming an arrow at you. Jesus says, look at your heart. God's arrow of judgment is aimed directly at your heart. If you want justice, you need to understand what about yourself? If you want God to deal with evil out there, Jesus says, what about the evil in here? What about the sin in your own life? So Jesus turns the table. Then, then the table gets turned again. Because as Jesus goes on teaching those self-righteous people who thought they were upright in heart, they start to aim an arrow at Jesus. And they use words and lies to get Jesus arrested and put on trial, eventually crucified. And what did the crowds do when they watched Jesus be crucified? They wagged their heads. And what was happening there was the ultimate turning of the tables. Where the arrow of God's judgment, which should have been centered on our hearts... The arrow of God's judgment was aimed at God's Son. The one who truly is blameless. Like the victim described in Psalm 64. And the only way, the only way that we can be transferred from the category of wicked enemy of God an evildoer to the category of righteous and upright in heart is to have our heart changed by Jesus who suffered and died for us on the cross. The arrow of God's judgment was pointed at Jesus Christ 
and he satisfied the wrath of God, the justice of God. He said on the cross, it is finished. So loved ones, how will you respond? On a surface level, revenge is unchristian. Because God hears prayers and God knows the depth of human evil and God will bring about justice. But on a far deeper level, the reason why Christians don't seek revenge is because Christians know what it means to be forgiven. Christians know what it means for the arrow of God's judgment to be pointed at us. We know what we deserve as people who have rebelled against God's good law. And we know what it is to see that arrow turned and pointed towards Jesus Christ on the cross. And so if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, today is the day for you to acknowledge that you are on the wicked side. And to be thankful that God sent Jesus to bear the punishment, the justice that is due you So that you could be like these righteous people in verse 10 who rejoice in the Lord and who take refuge in him. And so that your heart can be called upright and so that you can praise and boast in him and him alone. Revenge is unchristian because Christians know what they deserve. And Christians understand grace and they know that they have been forgiven. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Our Heavenly Father, God, we come to you, the one who is the judge of the living and the dead, the one who is the judge of all things, the one who sees everything, hears everything, every little bit of evidence that condemns us as sinners. You are aware of all of it, Lord. You are even aware of the hurt and the pain that we've experienced of our life, Lord. We are sinners and we have also been sinned against. We are living in a cursed world. You see it all. You know the depths of our inward mind and of our hearts. And yet, knowing all of this about us, you still love us. And you allowed the arrow of your judgment to be turned on your son. God, I pray that you would draw us very, very near to you. And God, I pray that there wouldn't be a single heart here today that doesn't walk out of this place without knowing that they are on the side of the upright, the side of the righteous. Not because of anything that they have done. If they were judged by their deeds, they would be condemned but judged by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and made right, justified through faith in him. Lord, we love you, we thank you, we worship you. In your name we pray, amen.